The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Roads Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Sure glad to have you with us. I'd like to begin the show on a on a more serious and somber note because we need to pay our respects. A gentleman by the name of Foster Braun, who was the podcast host for American Road for years and years and a real radio guy, passed away in the last week. And we certainly want to extend our sympathies to his family, his loved ones, and to the American Road family. Foster was somebody I got to know only a little bit as we were putting together podcasts and learning how to do this. And he was a professional all the way. I am so grateful that I got to know him. He was one terrific guy, and I know that he will be missed. I also want to let you know as we begin our program that we have a wonderful sponsor who wants you to be safe. They want you to be safe no matter where the road takes you with Sabre's new Safe Escape Automotive Tool, the only three-in-one automotive tool designed for your safety. It includes a seat belt cutter, a stainless steel glass breaker, and Sabre's maximum strength pepper gel. Stay safe with the Safe Escape from Sabre. It's available now on SabreRed.com. Let me spell that out for you. S-A-B-R-E. R-E-D.com. We are very happy to have you with us today, not only our local audience at AM 1150 in Seattle, but in podcast form, soon to be um, on SoundCloud. That's one way. And another great way, of course, is always to go to the website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, where you can hear this podcast again and again. We hope that you will. We have a special guest available for us today. Thank goodness, because I just drew a circle around her name, and I said, this is a lady we have got to talk to. She is such a visionary artist. Her name is Erica Nelson, and in addition to being a visionary artist, she's an educator and one of America's foremost experts and speakers on the world's largest things. She's a national researcher, too, and a speaker on grassroots art environments, roadside attractions, and architecture as well, and of course, the world's largest things. Erica is also the founder and curator of a unique and innovative traveling roadside attraction and museum. That's right, I said traveling roadside attraction and museum called the world's largest collection of the world's smallest versions of the world's largest things. Erica Nelson is a consultant to cities and chambers of commerce seeking to create their own world's largest thing or roadside attraction to increase tourism, marketing, and economic development for their community. And listed among her special accomplishments, dig this. Through her travels, Erica Nelson has written a graduate thesis titled, are you ready? Driving around looking at big things while thinking about spam. <laughs> I love that. Let us give a big welcome to Erica Nelson. We're so happy to have you with us today, Erica. Well, thank you, Jerry. I'm happy to be here in one of the first sets of podcasts for American Road Magazine. American Road Trip Talk, it is, absolutely. And I've got to go right back to that title of your graduate thesis, Erica. Driving around looking at big things while thinking about spam. Now, weren't you in the least worried about charges of plagiarism? Um, well, I mean, if, if I were to get sued by the Spam Museum, that would just be another really great credit on the CV. <laughs> 
I love that. That thesis, I think, says by the title itself so much about you. Go ahead and catch all of us up who are just now having the opportunity to get to know you, how it is that you got to be such a versatile curator and really an ambassador for the open road in such a special way. Well, it was really driven by my inner child screaming to get out. You know, the one that was in the back of the 1970s AMC Gremlin, always wanting to stop at the roadside attraction as your parents just flew on by. Well, when I found out that I could make my own road trips, I started circling spots on the atlas of things that I'd never gotten to see because nobody else was willing to stop. And the more that I explored these sort of alternative visions of what is great and important and wonderful, I found out that they really are great, wonderful, and important because they tell a specific story of place. So the more that I saw, the more I just felt like I had to see. And there weren't a whole lot of lists at the time available, so I started compiling these lists of roadside attractions more for a resource for me, but in traveling I found out that other people want to see these things too. So I built a uh, website during my first inaugural tour, and uh, it's been over 15 years of continual road trips now centered around my home base in Lucas, Kansas. If you're going to be in the middle and expanding from there, I think Lucas, Kansas would be a good place to be and to have this be so mobile and to take people so many places. It puts me in mind of mentioning to you, Erica, that it seems like communities want to be special in at least one way or known for at least one thing. What makes them stand out? And when enough cities have this across a wide continent like North America, when they have this idea that, yes, we have this to offer, I think, for example, of Mitchell, South Dakota and the Corn Palace, that would be a good example. I've been there. It's a wonderful place to visit. I'm glad I was going through South Dakota so that I could stop and visit. But it seems like people underestimate the number of places that are true marvels in the way of roadside attractions across North America. I couldn't believe how many I saw when I traveled twice back and forth, pretty much diagonally across the country. And I know I only saw a fraction. Well, and part of that is training yourself how to see, taking the back roads and also remembering that that little sense of wonder that's telling you to stop should be listened to, that you don't need to go to Applebee's. You need to go to the Sykeson home of the throat rolls because there's only going to be one of those. It's going to be an experience, and it's going to be something that helps you remember why that place was special instead of just zooming on through. Absolutely true. In fact, I can remember going to a little cafe that had a tiny bakery and part of it in Sandpoint, Idaho. This was a couple of years ago. And long story short, I was able to get, I was busting my diet, I admit it, but I got a couple of chocolate donuts with nuts sprinkled on them for a total of 80 cents. And I remember saying to my partner, Suzanne, 80 cents for two donuts. And she was enjoying some uh, equally unique soup from a place known in Sandpoint. It was kind of a hippie haven, actually. And her cup of soup was quite delicious. And it cost her over $5. And I'm waving a bag of donuts going, yeah, 80 cents over here. And we both enjoyed <laughs> what we had in little Sandpoint, Idaho. This is the idea of the roadside mentality and what you can discover. 
Yeah, and it, it really is not just training your eyes, but also um, asking the questions. Because usually it's the locals who will point you to the next most amazing thing. Or these large things are often markers for certain events or certain industries. So if you stop and see some of these, like the world's largest booming prairie chicken in Rothsey, Minnesota, if you stop and see it, if you ask a local, they'll tell you all about the habitat that is conducive to the breeding of booming prairie chickens and its unique little biome there. So there's a reason these things are there. It's not just it's not just decoration. It's icons that are centered around story. In a little bit, we're going to get to some wonderful offbeat locations, the best of the best in the evergreen state of Washington and being headquartered, this broadcast anyway, in Seattle. This is something that people around Puget Sound uh, throughout Washington actually can get to rather easily. We're going to have a few of those that you will articulate and I'm sure looking forward to that. But I did want to ask you, Erica, now, in, is it your company? Are you the CEO of World's Largest Things Incorporated? Yeah, we're a 501c3, and we were established to collect these stories of people who build big things and the communities that help build them. And uh, through that organization is how I start producing exhibits or mobile displays, or now I'm working on a brick-and-mortar roadside sideshow expo in our beautiful downtown of Lucas um, to, again, tell these stories of community from across the country. But it was a brainchild that came to me gradually while I was living on the road in a bus exploring small towns and making my own souvenirs. I think that is, if you don't mind my saying so, I think that is genius because what you have done is to give people their, this amazing array of largest things in miniature and then you made it mobile. I, I couldn't have thought of that in a million years, but that really is a brainchild. It's, it's been a lot of fun. And um, I don't see myself not having a mobile museum, but uh, a lot of the exhibits that formerly traveled now have a permanent place to live in between shows so after the first bus retired when gas prices went up and i realized nine miles per gallon wasn't really sustainable <laughs> so that one retired i developed a smaller art car with really great gas mileage that i would um tow a sideshow setup so i had sideshows banners and the models mounted into trunks so that I could set up quickly in a sideshow format for festivals. And now I'm on art car number three that's on that same theme, the Jeepalope, that houses 30 of those miniatures as I travel, but those old sideshow parts and pieces didn't need to sit in storage. They needed to be out and be seen, too. So it's sort of the best of both worlds in that I still have a mobile museum to travel with, but I also have a brick-and-mortar place for everything to land. And you have a jeep elope. Yes, yes. The that is amazing. Is the current one. <laughs> I love that. Erica Nelson, if you didn't exist, it would be necessary to invent you in order to bring something so enjoyable to the world, especially to North America. This is great. Why don't we take a pause here, and we're going to talk about our good friends at Sabre. And when we come back, let's get into some of these best 
places you can share stories of the road focusing on some of the best offbeat sites in Washington State. So stand by, Erica, while I say, now available, everybody, now hear this. From Sabre, the number one pepper spray brand trusted by police worldwide, the new three-in-one safe escape automotive tool is available. The only automotive tool designed for your safety the Safe Escape contains a seatbelt cutter to slice through manufactured seatbelts in seconds, a stainless steel glass breaker for speedy escape, and Sabre's maximum strength pepper gel with a range of up to 12 feet and 25 bursts per canister. Be safe no matter where the road takes you with Sabre's 3-in-1 Safe Escape Automotive Tool. It's now available at saberred.com. That's S-A-B-R-E-R-E-D.com. Welcome back to American Road Trip Talk where we take to the open road first in your imagination, hoping you'll do it for real. And our guest today, the extraordinary Erica Nelson, who is the curator, the designer, and uh, the brains behind the world's largest things incorporated. And her roadside attraction exhibits draw attention from all around the country. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience to have. I certainly look forward to it. Heard a lot about it, have to experience it for myself. Now, Erica, we focus on Washington State. Now, we're within earshot of a lot of people who have the means and hopefully the time to be able to get out in their cars and go out and visit some of these places that you regard as some of the best offbeat sites in Washington State. Let me start with one that, quite frankly, I lived almost 22 years in Seattle, Erica, and I never got there. I must have been remiss in some way, although I have to admit there's a bit of an ooh factor, and yet it's something I think I should have seen at least once. I'm talking about Seattle's famed or infamous Gum Alley. For anybody who hasn't been there, tell us about it. Oh, it is. I finally got to see that this year. So my inaugural trip to Washington State was over 10 years ago. So I had this list of things I had to see when I went back, and I finally got to go back. And the gum alley is an alley where people leave their gum on the wall, on the pipes, on the utility boxes, dripping down in these long strands of multicolored hubba bubba and bubble <laughs> yum. And the thing that struck me, was that you can smell it before you see it. I'll bet. So just imagine that sort of first unwrapping of gum and that super sugary thing that hits you. This is a wave of super sugar DNA samples stuck to the alleys in uh, uh, close to that river riverfront district. When you went there, did they give you any insight as to the origin of such a bizarre place? Well, there are a bunch of gum alleys, and um, I will admit I did not research that one when I went because I was busy sort of capturing these, um, looking at the, the tourists who were enjoying the gum site. Um, so I, was, I haven't actually looked into the background of the gum alley, but I do know it's not the only one, but it's such in such a wide space, and it covers so almost half of a block within that alley um it is it is an attraction or maybe there's got to be a prefix to the word attraction that <laughs> says it's something to see but with some caution 
I can imagine where it would be. Uh, it's like a coin. You turn it around. What what is an attraction becomes a repulsion, and yet you can't look away. Yes, that fascinating sort of macabre awesomeness. Um, and I did see one woman who had both of her child's hands in her hand because the child <laughs> so wanted a piece of gum and was of willing course. to chew a pre-chewed one. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was distracted by that and the just overwhelming nature. That was that was a great spot, and it's not far from um, from that riverfront area where the old curiosity shop is, which is one of my favorites to go visit. Um, exactly down on because, the water. Yeah, and they still have some hidden gems of displays in and amongst the the sort of tourist trappiness of it. So there right. are little boxes and little things that you really have to investigate to find, which I do really appreciate about some of the special items that happen in major metropolitan areas. Right. That is a waterfront by Elliott Bay and the old curiosity shop. Oh, my. I've been in there many a time. And it's it's also near Coleman Dock where the ferries are. So if you're down that way, you can park once and you make a walking tour out of it, including Gum Alley. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just hoof it up the hill and on back down and leave your gum in with the rest of your fellow travelers. That is a st- Yes, you make your mark, as it were. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you about a place that seemed to have particularly tickled your fancy, Erica, and that is Hat and Boots. Let me spell that out, Hat, H-A-T, dash N, dash Boots. You found that place to be quite extraordinary. Well, and that's one of those great historic structures that was originally built as a gas station, and this red sort of fly-away wide-brimmed cowboy hat has this beautiful swooping brim that used to serve as the shelter over the gas pumps for Hat and, Goose, Hat and, Hat and Boots uh, gas station. And the Boots house uh, restroom. When the gas station went out, Hat and Boots fell into disrepair. And as with a lot of these monuments, there's that sweet spot of building and then people fall out of love with the big kitschy things that aren't old enough to be special, but are special enough to not be torn down. Uh, they kind yes. of sit and molder for a while. But eventually, uh, Hatton Boots was recognized as the landmark that it is, uh, moved to Oxbow Park, and then restored into this really great sort of connecting place where you can still admire that beautiful curving swoop of the hats. I don't believe there are open restrooms in the boots anymore. And yet here is a place that it was underappreciated, unappreciated, and then it becomes appreciated over time. That that seems to be so characteristic of historical places. And it, especially an oddity in large towns where real estate is king. Yes. So to oh, have that, <laughs> yeah, that sort of preservation effort for these things doesn't always happen. So Seattle is very lucky to still have that sort of iconic piece of mimetic architecture still in existence. When you go to Seattle, if you go to these places within Seattle or in, in metropolitan Seattle, you find that you're in a unique environment. 
as I say, I lived there almost 22 years and I've never been any place, even Portland, which has its own funky culture. There's no question about that. But Seattle is a unique place and I have told people about it and they really don't get it. And I tell them, then you need to go visit because once you're there, you won't need me to explain it. Yeah. And visit for a period of days. And that's one of the things that I try to do whenever I'm going to an area is try to build in some sort of mechanism where I'm not just there for an afternoon, that I'm there with two or three days of unencumbered time, usually one or two assignments or appearances to make, but then that time to explore because that is when you find the good stuff. It it is. It rewards the search. There's no doubt about that. Erica, I'd like to talk to you now, moving outside of Seattle, about 100 miles as you venture into central Washington. There was a place that really caught your eye, and you thought a great deal of it. In Ellensburg, Washington, I even know some people that couldn't afford the housing anymore in Seattle because it is pricey. And so they decided to relocate to Ellensburg, a lovely town. And it's very hilly. They're very green and yet a different environment. Yet in Ellensburg, there in central Washington, there is Dick and Jane's spot. And I have to confess to you that I went through Ellensburg, spent a night there, saw some nice places and met some nice people, but I never made it to Dick and Jane's spot. So educate me and everyone else about what we would find there at that spot in Ellensburg. Uh, This is a wonderful story of when two artists fall in love, buy a little house, and then create the atmosphere and environment that they'd really like to inhabit. So Dick was an artist that um, used reflectors in his artwork, so these sort of uh, overlapping mosaics of reflective material. And he's also done a lot of work in the public art realm. So I believe there's some reflector art done by Dick in the Seattle area too. But their house has... uh, mosaics around it the yard ends up being this collection of art from themselves but also from the artists that they host so it's this whimsical yard environment built from very common materials treated in an uncommon way and together they just you 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 can't have a frown when you're looking at it and visually almost overwhelming but i mean i have a high tolerance for density of of images and objects. So it's just this sweet little spot right across from the police station, very close to downtown. And uh, they've also been pioneers in growing the appreciation for arts in Ellensburg. So there's more art going on there in the public realm, uh, some sculptures popping up downtown, this nice little seated bowl on a bench in the arts district now. And some of that um, was a direct result of Dick and Jane just being out there and fabulous. I love that creative impulse and then to let it manifest. That's I've seen that in various places and I always love the trend when I spot it. I had another place that I wanted to make sure I mentioned while we still have time, Erica, and that is we head back across to Seattle and then head south and then on the coast, we get to Long Beach, Washington, and there we find Marsh's Free Museum. And I will admit my total ignorance because I don't think I've ever actually been in Long Beach itself. Marsh's Free Museum, 
What's going on there and why is it free? Well, like uh, the old curiosity shop, they uh, want you to get in the door and look at the oddities with the hopes that you'll probably pick up some shells along the way. So it is sort of an attraction to drive commerce, but they've got this wonderful collection of uh, coin-op viewing machines. Oh. Uh, they have Jake the Alligator Man, which is a version of a Fiji mermaid, which you'll find in attractions, usually in coastal areas that were um, populated by sailors. And Long Beach itself is home to a whole bunch of world's largest. So not only do you get Jake the Alligator Man, you get the world's longest beach, which is Long Beach, aptly named. You get the world's largest squirting clam, which is a gooey duck, and it squirts on the hour every hour during tourist season. And it is right next to the world's largest frying pan. The world's largest frying pan. Now, that's something I didn't know. Gooey ducks, I would expect. And by the way, Washingtonians are very proud of the gooey duck. It's iconic. But the world's largest frying pan. Somebody must have decided that they wanted to make Guinness Book of World's Records, and that was one way to do it. And they maybe had a lot of metal on their hands. That, and it was used at their clam festivals. They used to set it down and have the clam queens ride in the giant frying pan down the middle of the street. Then the queens would get out, they'd fire up a fire under the pan and make giant clam fritters for their festival. I just love that. This is what we're talking about, the idea that there are communities that want to stand out. They want to do so maybe for their natural beauty, of course, but also for something that is artistic, perhaps architectural, that draws people because tourism is huge in North America. And that's all the time we have for today. Gooey ducks and all. We hope to have Eric and Nelson back sometime soon. Thanks for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue of American Road Magazine. Until next week, I'm Gary Mance saying drive safely and dream well. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.